happening through the last couple of Sundays, that the Lord's not just called us to be this holy little huddle. He's actually called us to reach the city, and, and more than the city, um, to impact nations through us. And it, it's not an arrogant thing. If Jesus can use the 12 disciples, we know their stories. Humble men, fishermen, nobodies. He can use us. Amen? Um, I do feel like the Lord almost wants us this morning to look at some of the heroes of our faith. You know, there's something encouraging about somebody telling a story which required courage. And courage is infectious. Courage is infectious. It's like every generation needs heroes. You think of when the Israelites, they've got this Goliath, and they're all trembling in trepidation about this one, essentially one man, a whole nation gripped in fear. And you get one little guy, probably a teenager, standing up and saying, who do you think you are defying the God of heaven? It's a little teenager. And in his courage, he actually broke something open for the whole nation. And there's something about hearing stories of courage. It's like, yeah, man, he's right. Why are we trembling in fear? This, this guy's got it. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a number of very powerful testimonies of often a young woman, funny enough, doing a David and just saying, hey, you know what? I'm not going to bow to you. I celebrate. I worship a God who's Lord of heaven and earth. No, I'm sorry, I won't bow because I bow to Jesus. And so in that vein, I'm going to ask Bianca to come and share a very cool testimony um, she shared with me during the week, and I thought it would really rob you if you didn't get to hear this testimony. I uh, don't want to hype it up too much because then she's going to get nervous, but I'll let her share, and I'll go off the back of what she's saying. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, so for those of you um, who don't know me, my name's Bianca. I've been in City Bowl um, for a couple of years and loving it. And, um, yeah, um, the past, uh, I, so I'm a freelancer. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'm an actor. At the moment, um, there is an actor's strike, which means that most of Hollywood is um, not working, and which has affected production down here. And so uh, God's really been gracious in this time, and I haven't expected any kind of work at all. And this week um, rocked me a bit, which is why I phoned Luke. And um, I, I saw a very new casting director last week. And um, he said to me, after I was casting for an ad, he said, um, hey, there's this, there's this thing I'm auditioning. There's this new TV series, and I really would love you to, to read for it, to audition for it. Um, so I prepared, prayed, <laughs> went to the audition on Saturday. Um, and uh, normally the process is you go and, um, sorry, for some reason I'm feeling a bit nervous, which is hilarious because we're talking about fear of man. So <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> and um, the way that an audition works is you normally audition. Uh, that you get a callback um, with the people involved in the shoot, and then maybe only if maybe you get it. Anyway, um, I auditioned on the Saturday morning, and I got a phone call from my agent on Tuesday. And uh, the minute I picked up the phone, I could tell by her tone of voice that something was very, very off. And she said, hey, B, I've got good, sort of good news for you. 
but not really kind of. And I went, okay. And she said, so you've actually, you've been confirmed for this role, for the series. You got the role. Um, but also, I just want you to have a look at the email that I'm going to send you. Um, and then we can start negotiations um, about what should be seen and what shouldn't be seen. So with much trepidation, I opened my email. And um, because we're family and because this is serious, I'm going to be very honest. Um, the email started with, is that okay? <laughs> um, the email, the, the first line of the email read, this character um, engages in multiple acts of a sexually explicit nature. And um, it then went on to explain in detail um, what I would have to do um, and essentially reveal, um, and there were many, there were, there was, it wasn't just one, you know, one smooch, it was a lot. <laughs> and as I looked at it, my heart sank because, um, because financially, um, as, yeah, well, I've explained to you the context, and my heart shrank, and um, I think that my mind was going through a lot of things at the same time, and the first was, Firstly, I know what I have to do. I, there's, I know what I have to do, but the consequences could be dire. I could be dropped from my agency. Um, I could be red flagged in the industry. Um, the, the casting director might refuse to ever see me again. There were all these myriadical things, and I knew what I had to do, but um, I frantically phoned people. I couldn't get hold of Kina, who I phoned first, but I phoned Zandi. And um, poor Zandi, she was sick, and... <laughs> <laughs> oh, very croaky, but she sat with me on the phone while I processed. And um, the first thing that Zandi reminded me of, and I'm going to paraphrase this verse very badly, um, but she spoke about how Jesus said, what, um, what good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose yourself? Um, and that really, really, really hit me. And it made me think about what I'm actually living for um, and what how dire the consequences would be if I say yes to something and lose myself and lose Jesus. And um, after chatting uh, for a bit, I knew what I needed to do. And expecting potentially to be dropped from my agency and um, to, yeah, to not have a job anymore. And I phoned my, my agent and I explained to her in detail what I was prepared to represent on screen and what I wasn't prepared to represent and what I was prepared to to model um, even for future generations and um, she she actually understood and she apologized which was amazing and and that evening um, I also had to have a phone call with the casting director and explain to him my convictions and why what I was willing to represent and not represent it was a long long night um, and the next day at the fast um, uh, that evening, I was pretty much a wreck because I thought to myself, Lord, is there any kind of future for me? I thought I'd been called to this, but um, with the way that the world is going, is there a way that could be made for me? But I don't think there is. And at the fast that evening, I um, wept my face off and I just said, um, you know, Jesus, actually, if i got to give this up, then I'll become a librarian or a teacher. <laughs> You know, I, I did think a librarian could be a good choice. I do like books. <laughs> or not. Okay, bad salary. Anyways, fully preparing um, to change my career. Um, I woke up on Thursday morning, and um, I saw it was my agent phoning, and um, got a ring, and she said, hey, B. I said, 
hi. And she said, listen, so um, I spoke, the, the, the producers came back to me and they really, really like you and they really want you in the show. So they prepared to offer you another role, um, which is a politician who fights against evil and corruption <laughs> and, and doesn't reveal anything or do anything. <laughs> And I said, are they, were they cool? And they're like, yeah, they were more than cool. They were totally understanding. And um, so, yeah, I start shooting next week. And I think, it, yeah, so Jesus is amazing and honoring. And when you, I, d- I don't think we do things to expect reward, but there's something to standing for Jesus and standing for, for who he is. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Just when Bianca shared that story with me on the phone, there was this verse that sprang into my mind, and it was Daniel. Daniel, you know, famous for Daniel in the lion's den kind of Daniel. And they'd just been intimidated to bow before um, the the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were just about to be thrown into the flames um, to be burned and killed. And this is what he said. um, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, (laughs) we want you to know we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. He's the kind of God that can save us even if you throw us into the flames. But you know what? Even if he doesn't save us, we still won't bow. And there was something of that in Bianca's testimony of like, you know what? Maybe the Lord can make a way. Maybe he can. But you know, even if he doesn't, even if I have to become a librarian, I'm still not going to bow before that. Amen? And it's encouraging testimony. I, I feel like, remember what I was saying at the beginning, we need testimonies of heroes. We, we, we needing heroes. And God's calling us to be men and women of faith. And I feel like, this, sometimes we associate courage with a, ma- a manly attribute, and it should be. But actually, God's called our woman to be a woman of courage, woman of faith. I feel like the word of this morning is God is, called, is calling us to know what we believe, know why we believe it, and know who we believe in. People who know our God. Yes, it's good to know what we stand for. And we've got to start there for sure. But more than that, we need to know the God that Daniel knew. We need to know the God that David knew. Because in the moment when we have to stand, oftentimes we stand alone. Not sure why it always works out that we are obviously in a big church. And there is a sense in which we can worship God and we can find faith together. But there's a bit of a mob mentality that happens on a Sunday where it's, it's almost easy to be courageous when we're all together. But oftentimes we face our trials alone. And in those moments, we need to be a people who know who our God is. As Dave was sharing with me in the worship, we need to know the place of victory we already have. That Paul and Silas could be in a prison and could be persecuted and in every way seemingly defeated. But they knew who their God was and they found peace in the prison. They found victory and joy in the prison. 
And our testimonies don't just start when we, when we have our deliverance. Da- Daniel's testimony started when he was just about to be thrown in the flames. Amen? Because it's not about having everything going well in your life. It's about trusting in the Lord. And I feel like, I, I feel like prophetically for us as a congregation, there are some unique tests we're going to go through. Um, and we need, we need to know who our God is. We need to know what we believe. And I want to start, the, the scripture I want to just begin off with here is in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we're going to get on to the Hebrews chapter 11, which is a great passage to find inspiration from heroes. It's called the Hall of Faith. Have you heard of that expression before? Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of, instead of the hall of fame, the hall of faith. Men and women who, uh, on, who had incredible testimonies of living and dying for their faith. But it starts with a prelude in he- Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. You got it. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Amen? We talk about faith sometimes, and sometimes we have too narrow a definition of what faith is. Faith is something that is actually tested, and the Bible describes the tests that we go through as trials which God allows, which actually show us what kind of faith we have. It talks, uh, uh, let's look at the scripture, actually. It's a beautiful uh, verse in, in Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus comes. And so actually all of us will go through trials. All of us will have our faith tested in various different ways. And that's something that shouldn't surprise us. The important thing is that we overcome. There's this beautiful um, picture in Hebrews, actually, where it talks about us running a race and we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So what it's essentially saying is all of these heroes have finished their race. They have overcome the world. And now they're watching and they're cheering you on in your faith, in your test, in your race. And they are saying, we've already gotten there and we're celebrating what God is doing in you. Come on, run your race. Throw off all the sin that entangles. Don't be intimidated. 
you will overcome just like we overcome. You will overcome just as Jesus overcome. And there's this, there's this it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, picture, actually, for us. It's an encouraging picture. Man, there are men and women of faith that have gone before you, but now is your time. Now is your test. Uh, there's these crazy stories from, from history. We know that in the early church, every couple of years, they'd have a leaders' meeting. And it would be a leaders' meeting where they'd call the pastors from all over the nation, the empire of Rome. And obviously, that was a massive uh, territory. So they sometimes have to travel for a couple of days to get to the leaders' meeting. That's why they only called them every once every couple of years, because it was, it was a bit far to get there. And as they would come in, these leaders of the churches would be battered and, and scarred, literal scars. Some of them would come in with a limb or two missing for, for real, like limbs missing, like maybe fingers or hands or toes. Some of them would have scars all over their bodies. Some of them would be blind. Some of them would need somebody to help them get in to find their seat. And that was the leaders of the church. They'd having a leaders meeting. It must have been quite a, a sight to behold because they'd, they'd suffered for their faith. And, and, and they, they bore the scars on their body of the tests and the trials that they'd been through. Paul himself says... I bear on my body the scars of the persecutions that I've experienced. Now, that can be an intimidating thing. It's like, ooh, sounds a bit scary. It's like, but actually, the Lord's called us. We're going to have our own trials. We're going to have our own testimonies. We're going to have our own stories. And I want my own stories. When I'm sitting in heaven one day next to Peter, who got crucified upside down, and we're having dinner together and we're sharing stories, I also want stories. True? So tell me about your life. Yeah, our service was at 9 a.m., which meant in winter, you know, it's dark in Cape Town in winter, you know. Sun comes up super late, and I had to set my alarm clock, and I had to wake up in the dark. That man was tough, eh? But you know what? I had my cross to bear, and I, and I, and I, I pushed through the trials and tribulations, and, and I made it. I got there. I got to church just before 9 o'clock. So, Yeah. Well, why don't you go and, sh- and share a few stories? Like, the, dude, that, that would be lame, right? I mean, that, as, as awesome as it is to get to church on time, I don't know, 9 a.m., that, that is great. It's a win. I would like a few more stories as well. Not for bragging rights, but it's like, man, I want to count for something. I want my life to count for something. I want to shine for Jesus in the generation that we live in. And we do face a unique situation. We'll talk more about that just now in terms of what our battles are, where the intimidation comes for us. And so our faith will be tested, and it, the trials are good things because they get to show what's inside. Uh, they, they get to show what kind of faith we have. So over the years, Satan has ve- had various strategies to try and uh, keep the church from being who they've called to be. I won't be able to talk about all of them. I'll just briefly summarize. I'm going to focus on two. One of them is intimidation. One of the, the strategies of Satan, of Satan to, is to try and shut the church up. Say, don't you dare speak. You keep quiet. You sit down. You don't stand. You don't make the waves. You just be quiet. Intimidation, threat of violence, threat of uh, legal prosecution. Threat, that's always been around for the church. The other one that he often uses is seduction. When intimidation doesn't work, he tries to seduce the church. He tries to get them to compromise, to fall in love with the things of this world and compromise on what they believe. The other thing he tries is deception. He tries to pervert the gospel 
so that we fight for the wrong things. And the last thing he mentioned, well, that I, this is not an exhaustive list, but corruption. Corruption is similar to seduction. It's when the church gets corroded from the inside out so that the church doesn't stand for what it's supposed to stand for anymore. It just goes with what the world is, is doing, and it no longer bears the light of Christ. But this morning, I feel like the Lord wants to speak about intimidation and seduction and how those two things work. And I've already mentioned the story of Daniel. Why that's quite a significant story for us. I'll, I'll, show, I'll draw out the commonalities for us, because I think there's some serious lessons to learn from Daniel. Number one, he was a small minority group in a massive empire, which had a different culture, had a different religion, different language, and it was the most glorious, most impressive, powerful nation in the world at that time. And Israel had been taken captive, and they were this small little minority group in Babylon, kind of swallowed by the big beast of Babylon. But God had allowed it for the sake of testing. And then you had this group within a group, which was Daniel and his few uh, friends. They were very devout. They, had, they held on to their convictions, and they, they, pay, you know, they, were, they were severely tested for that. But what you find is that this small group actually really thrived. God protected them, and not only protected them to survive, but Daniel and his friends had actually been selected amongst the wisest and most promising young lads in the whole kingdom. And the king was actually investing in them because he wanted to raise them up as leaders within Babylon, which is a good thing. But that in itself actually came with its own intrinsic dangers. We'll, get, we'll explain what, what that was as well. And then what began to happen was small tests began to come. Small tests of their convictions. And then the big test came, like the bow or die test. That came later, the ultimate aid, ultimatum. The small tests came actually, uh, strangely enough, in the form of food. So the king was feeding them <laughs> from his table. They were eating the king's food. But it posed a moral dilemma for them because the king's food broke their uh, religious laws. So that by eating the king's food, they would actually be compromising on their own personal convictions. And they would actually be sinning against the Lord just by eating food. <laughs> and so that was the first small test that came. I'm sure if they had eaten the food, no one in Israel would have put too much of a fuss about it. Because everyone probably would have done it. But actually they felt like their conscience would be sinning against the Lord if we ate this food. But... They were now in a conundrum because if they refused to eat the food, they might get malnourished and then be disqualified from their job. They were called to be healthy, uh, intelligent, educated specimens who, who would be leaders, leaders in the nation. Now, if they're malnourished, they'd get fired. That was the first test. Sounds similar to Bianca's test. And so they said, no, no, we're not going to compromise on our convictions. We're not going to eat the meat that the king gives us. I think it was something to do with the meat being offered to idols or something like that. And so they said, no, we're not going to eat the meat. We're just going to eat the vegetables. Now, as everybody knows, you can't be healthy and big and strong if you just eat vegetables, eh? Everybody knows that. So let's move on. We're South Africans. I mean, we know this stuff, you know? Protein, come on. The braai. And so... They decided to go on a vegetarian diet, even though it came at great risk. And they said, well, the Lord's just going to have to sustain us on vegetables. And 
The Lord did. They, they passed that test. And they actually grew healthy and strong anyway, even on a vegetarian, vegan diet. And then later on, the big test came where it's like bow to this idol or die. And in that test, they actually passed as well with flying colors. And as I read earlier, it's like, well, even if God doesn't rescue us, we, we're not going to bow. And so the title of this sermon is very short and very sweet. We will not bow. We will not bow. Amen? And so how does this apply to us? Well, we are also a small minority in a culture that is very different. That is a very different understanding of God, a very different understanding of morality and ethics. And there is a pressure to conform in a thousand different aspects of every day. And, and, and there will be small tests of compromise and there will be big tests where it might come down to make, maybe even losing your job. And, and Bianca isn't, isn't unique in that, by the way. I've actually heard a number of testimonies, not even necessarily testimonies, just stories of people in this congregation that said, the, the things they were requiring of me from work, I cannot go there, but I might lose my job. And it's often actually come down to that. And, and uh, increasingly, in our culture, our views, our Christian views, which used to be quite common, are becoming fringe and weird and increasingly despised and reviled and hated. And God is wanting to equip us and inspire us and encourage us to be Daniels in our generation. Amen? It's not a thing of like, it's not, this is not an inspirational talk. It's about knowing what we believe and who we believe in and what God has called us to. I want to now get into some of the nitty-gritty of some of the things you will be challenged on. If you haven't been already, you will be challenged on. And I want to understand wh what we believe, why we believe it, and who we believe in. Here are some of the things. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Christian, Christians have always believed that, but for some reason it's become controversial because we live in an inclusive society where we tolerate all different religions, and it's good to tolerate all different religions, but what we don't mean by that is that all religions are equally true. We respect other people's views, but it doesn't necessarily mean we agree with them. Amen? God doesn't compel anyone to be a Christian. He doesn't, and we shouldn't either. We respect people of different views. But we do believe that there is only one way to the Father. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. Jesus said it, and in order to be a follower of Christ, we believe it. And let's be honest, Jesus sent, God sent his only son to die on the cross so that we could be saved. That in itself testifies to the fact that there can't be any other way. Surely Jesus wouldn't die on the cross to provide one other way. That's just weird. That's strange. That doesn't make sense. If there were other ways to be saved, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. I mean, he himself said, Jesus, he said to the Father, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the answer is clear. There isn't another way. You have to drink the cup. There isn't another way to be saved. Here's some, some other controversial things that we believe. I say controversial. It was never controversial, but it's recently become controversial. 
Amen? This Bible's been around for a while, eh? <laughs> it's not new, uh, but it's become recently controversial to believe, for example, that marriage is something God invented. You see that in the, in the book of Genesis? Between one man and one woman. Everything about that sentence is now controversial. The, the man and woman part, the one part, <laughs> polyamorous relationships is trending. It's like everything about that con- sentence is controversial. But it is something we need to know as Christians who worship the Creator, who created all things in a way which is pleasing and right and good in His eyes. And we need to know what things are pleasing and right and good. Here's something else that we're going to be tested on. Sex is, before, is for marriage. Sexual relations are for marriage. It's only in marriage that it's good, that it's right, that it's proper before the Lord. Again, everything about that sentence has become controversial, even for Christians. Many Christians are struggling with this idea that, that a sexual relationship is only for marriage. Um, but it is only for marriage. And let me explain why. Because God has invented sexual relations to knit two people together in a very strong way. Actually, there's a, God makes two people one, even spiritually. Your hearts, your souls, there's a connection that happens through sexual relations that God has intended to join two people together in a way which is not easily separated. So that if you have multiple sexual partners, you're being joined and separated and joined and separated and there's a tearing and it's destructive for your soul. And so God has made that for marriage, for the good of marriage, so that marriages will last, so that, so that there will be a deep oneness. And it's only in marriage that it's a good thing. See, I'm explaining not only the what but the why. You understand what I'm saying? God has also made marriage between one man and one woman. That is what marriage is. Why? Why is it between one man and one woman? Because men represent the nature of God in a unique way to masculinity. Women represent the beauty and the glory of God in a way that is unique to femininity. And so when a man and a woman have children, they represent the glory of God as mother and father. Children need a mother and a father. And a mother is a woman who represents the nature of God uniquely to her womankind. And anyone that's had a mother, a good mother, knows that. That there's something incredibly beautiful about mothers. The nurturing, the, the love, the intuitive ability to read people's hearts that's almost like telepathic, you know, that mothers have. That intuitive knowing of how to guide your heart through what you're going through. All of these things are unique to the glory of womanhood and motherhood. And so it's good and right and proper and God's order in creation for marriage to, between, to be between one man and one woman. And you need both. So if you have two men, as, mu- as much as you've got two men, so it's like, okay, it's two people, that's fine, but you still don't have a mother and a father. Does that make sense? That is the why. And so it's, uh, it's important to God that the family unit is a mother and a father that represent God. But obviously what I'm saying is controversial. 
it's, it's, it's a lie to believe that sexuality is fluid, that your gender and your biology are two diff- different things. That is not what the Bible teaches. Throughout Scripture, God creates you to be the person that He has in mind for you to be, and that includes your gender. God made you a woman. God made you a man for His purposes because He's got a purpose that He wants to fulfill through your life, even through your gender. Does that make sense? I'm explaining again the what and the why. And so there are the, many of these issues we will be intimidated to, to bow our knee. So in the past, you used to be able to agree to disagree, but actually Satan's changed strategies now where it's actually become an intimidation thing. It's like not just, okay, you share your view, I'll share my view, and okay, cool, let's hear it. It's, like, it's not like that anymore. It's like it's either you tow our line or we are going to crush you and vilify you and resent you and hold you up to public scorn and shame. And so we read that the early Christians were often scorned and shamed. It's happening again. I remember one day being in a lecture at UCT, and this was a long time ago, and the lecturer hated Christians. He hated Christians. He'd always share about Christians and Christian beliefs with a mocking, ridiculing tone. And then he wanted to, to share a story from the Bible about the prodigal son, and then he wanted to make some point about it. And then in the middle of his lecture, he said, well, why didn't one of the Christians tell us the story? And you just know he's going to set you up, and then he's going to afterwards. So he's not share, wanting you to share the story so that you can, well, let's all like clap hands. That, isn't that so beautiful? He's, he's setting you up for failure. So obviously, the Christians weren't exactly lining up to, yeah, I'll, I know the story. And then he kept going on and on. Is, is there, are there no Christians in here? Uh, is there, isn't there even one Christian in here that wants to share the story? And I realized at that moment, I'm going to have to be that Christian, you know. I'll be the punch bag today, guys. And a, a helpful Christian sitting next to me and said, I think you should share the story. <laughs> like, so I said, hey, if you've got the faith for it, you know. No, I didn't. I stood up. I stood up and with a quavering voice, uh, shared the story of the prodigal son. And then sat down and he proceeded to destroy me and Christianity thereafter. But I'd done what I, feel, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. And there is that sense of scorn and shame and a vilification. But like Daniel, you know what? Our God's able to save us. Even if he doesn't, we know who our God is, man. We know who our God is. And we know that what we believe is true because it's God's truth. He's the one that made the world. He's the one that made our lives. He's the one that made me. And what he says is true. And you can mock me for it, but it's still true. The gospel is still true, even if... You're going to shame me for it. And so oftentimes it comes down to this test of am I going to fear God or am I going to fear what people think? And there'll be big tests and there'll be small tests. And I want to say it used to be the case that in order to be a Christian, you had to be a fool. You had to look foolish. And I want to say it's still the same. So if someone hasn't broken this unfortunate news to you, I'm breaking it to you now. In order to be a Christian, it means you will look foolish. Um, you will look like an idiot sometimes. You will look like, um, like the bad guy. Even when you're sharing the good news of the gospel, 
There will be times when you'll feel like even sharing the good news. I, I know it happened to me yesterday. We're on the prom, walking around, sharing the good news. And the reaction I got from some people was like I just spat on them. I was like, hey, I, I'm just sharing the good news about what Jesus did on the cross for you so that you feel. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll be the bad guy. Uh, you, you can go on with your day, sir. I respect you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we have to come to terms with the fact that Christianity is, it's, Jesus said he was, he was called Beelzebub, Jesus. He, 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 <laughs> the prince of demons, that's what Beelzebub means. He was called the prince of demons, Jesus, our loving Savior who came from heaven, took on flesh and sacrificed his life for the whole world. The most loving person we've ever met was called the prince of demons. And, and it, Jesus said, if it's happened to me, it'll happen to you. And that's okay because Jesus loved his enemies. And we love our enemies. We don't have to defend ourselves against our enemies. We love them. And, and we pray for them. And it's not us versus them. The Bible says we don't war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, spiritual principalities and powers. And we pray for those who persecute us. So the question is, how do you prepare? You know, one of the things that can make you feel nervous, like, well, how do I know if I'm going to pass that big test? What if I have a Daniel test? How do I know if I can pass that test? And the, 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 the answer to the question is, is pass the small ones. Be faithful in the little. And, and there's, you know, there's those small conviction tests that we'll be tested in. They don't seem like it's this big moment. It just feels like a small compromise. Those are the tests be faithful in those things. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, here's a couple of small tests. When, if you've just newly been saved and you go back to your friends, you know what it's like. You've changed now. It's awkward. Maybe I shouldn't even tell them that I became a Christian. Maybe just through the testimony of my life, they'll notice that I'm different. And it's like, well, actually, you're going to have to face that test. At some point, you're going to have to share with them that something has changed. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And then you'll be tested in doing the things that they do. And you'll wrestle with the question of, well, maybe I should go with them drinking or to the club because I want to be there with them so that I can share the gospel with them. It's like, be careful. Be careful. You're not the same person you used to be. You can't do the same things you used to do. God's called you to be like Him. And that means you will be different. Sometimes we're intimidated, especially in Cape Town, about our colleagues finding out that we're Christians. True? You know, if I just mention the fact that I'm a Christian, I'm suddenly not in the cool crowd anymore. Are you serious? Are you one of those guys? It's like sudden that you can drink from that coffee stand, we can drink from this coffee stand, and you can hang out there by yourself. And we, It's just not cool. It's like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for them to know yet. I'm just building relationship. It's like, well, be careful. That's a small test. You might be asked at work to lie about things for the good of the company. That happens all the time. I was asked that when I was a school teacher. Just for the good of the company, just take one for the team, just a little lie. It's like, no, no, actually, that's a small test. I'm not willing to compromise even a small lie for the good of the company. Some of the bigger tests that some of you have faced, you go home in the holidays, and it's not the same as church, and your family all believes something really different. And they go to these cultural ceremonies where they're worshiping ancestors and things like that. And you realize, man, I can't do that anymore. 
but I'm going to be isolated by the whole family because everyone's doing it. It's like, well, that's your test. Remember your God. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are now in Jesus. Amen? Some of us are thinking, even as I'm mentioning all of this, this is great, but like I haven't really been intimidated yet. In my work, in my line of work, in my family, I haven't, I haven't experienced intimidation. But the other thing that happened with da- Daniel will also happen with us, which is seduction. The best story that I know of in the scripture which illustrates seduction is Samson. Samson was called and raised up to be a deliverer in Israel, to deliver Israel from the Philistines who were oppressing them and treating them badly. And, and God had raised Samson up to be a mighty man of God, a warrior, to liberate his people. And then he fell in love. <laughs> we think, think, well, how can love be a bad thing? It can be a bad thing. Love can be a bad thing. Depends on who you fall in love with. He fell in love with a Philistine woman. And she was a prostitute. And he ended up sleeping literally with the enemy. And slowly his convictions were compromised. And his heart turned. And his love for God was replaced by a love for a woman and in an immoral relationship. And that's subtle. That's, she, she, you know, the Philistines facing them down in, in battle, he wasn't intimidated by Philistines who were with, with their swords and their spears. He, he didn't have a problem with intimidation. But, but seduction was what proved to be his downfall. And, and the same goes for us. God has called us to be a people of courage, but he's also called us to be a people of purity who hold on to our convictions that are not seduced by the love of things and the love of people. The number of times I've sat with a bunch of new believers about to be baptized, and, and you ask them, how's it going? How's your new walk of faith? And there's this, there's this relationship that they're wrestling with. And the number of times that that has happened. And then they realize, I might actually have to break off this relationship because I'm, it's not a good relationship for me. And, you, and it's hard to say, yeah, you're right, you do. It's not like, a to, you know, you don't want to break up love, you know. It's like one of those precious things. But actually, oftentimes, people need to break up relationships with people who they love to be with Christ. And so it's the, it's, it's the things that we love that can actually prove to be our enemies and our downfall. And that can happen when we take good things and make them too important. We fall in love with those things. And and the downfall that often opens us up to seduction is this lie that I deserve to have this. I deserve to have that. I deserve to have what my friends have, or maybe even my unbelieving friends have. I deserve to have that. Marriage is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a godly thing. But if, if it gets into your heart, this attitude, I deserve to be married. Then it goes from being something you're trusting the Lord for, which is a blessing if it's his will for your life, to if I don't have this thing, I'm going to go after it myself, even if it means compromising on my values. Then you're in a vulnerable position. Then you're in danger of Satan seducing you away from the things of God. Amen? It's the same root that underlies pornography. 
It's the same lie that I deserve to have what people in the world have. I deserve to have these women because of who I am. I deserve it. But it's not, it's, it's, it's not, that's not God's will for your life. God will give you what's good for you, and you have to wait for him. You have to trust him and not be seduced by the love of things in this world. Amen? Same thing can happen with children. Children are a good thing. They're a blessing from the Lord. But if you make it a thing of, uh, if you make it an idolatrous thing, where you pursue what's good for them and what's best for them, at the compromise of your values, you can lose your way, and your whole world can start to revolve around your kids. Same thing with, with Daniel. He was offered promotion. Work can be a fall. Work, work can be a seductive thing that can cause you to compromise on your value. Promotion can be of the Lord, but it can also be a test. Daniel was required to compromise on his values for his work. And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm not willing to compromise on, that, on those values. The Lord promoted him anyway. But if the Lord hadn't promoted him, if he had lost his job, he would have done it anyway. Because promotion is only a blessing from the Lord if it's from the Lord. But if we make an idol out of work, we can actually compromise what we know the Lord's called us to, to make it happen for ourselves. Does that make sense? And so... The Bible, I'm closing now. The, the three sort of phrases I felt for us is these three phrases. We will not bow. We will not sell out. And we will not compromise. Amen? We will not bow. We will not sell out. I don't have a price tag on my soul. Satan can offer me whatever he wants. I'm not for sale. And that is because I already have what I want. And it's Jesus. I already have my pearl. I already have eternity waiting for me. The Bible says what no eye has seen, what no heart has even imagined, the Lord has prepared for us. And it's waiting for me. And no one's going to take it from me. No one is going to take my inheritance. Not for any price. I'm not for sale. Amen? I'm not for sale. And neither are you. And if there is a price tag on your soul, I want to encourage you this morning, take it off. Take it off the negotiating table and say, Satan, I'm not for sale. You can offer me whatever you want to offer, offer me. If it's not the Lord's will for my life, I'll say no thank you. Amen? Why don't we close eyes?